0: Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back. Another great episode. Today, again, zooming in with us, Mr. Felix Vortzman, who is a rock star real estate coach. He is the uh, triplex conversion king, if I'm not mistaken. He's the guy that kind of got that all figured out. And that's that's what we talked about on our last conversation, Felix, was your whole process of turning a single family home into a, a tri- duplex or more even better, he had a triplex, especially in Ontario. That's one of the few ways to make them cash flow. But today, we're going, to be, we're going to be talking about the capital side of things because Felix has been working with joint venture partners and raising capital and working with investors since 2013. And over the last couple of years, he's gotten involved in, in projects and deals and developments uh, south of the border in the US. And he's been raising capital for those projects. So I'm very, very uh, interested in finding out how you've gone about doing that and how things are structured and how they work, that sort of things, Felix. There are millions of real estate investors out there, and most are stuck with just a couple of properties. They want financial freedom, but their small portfolio ends up costing them more in time, effort, and money than it's worth. Getting out of the rat race seems harder than ever. This show will help you do more deals, better deals, and bigger deals. Finally, you'll be able to reach your income and lifestyle goals. How? By attracting and leveraging private money partners and their capital. Now, get ready to raise more money because here's your host, Dave Dubow. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having getting, having me back. All right, my friend. So, when it comes to the capital side of things, can you walk us through a little bit about your your journey there? What what, what was your your memory of your first? joint venture partnership and and where has that gone today?
1: For sure, well, just like any, uh, you know, intermediate or advanced real estate investor, um, we had one of two brick walls typically, it's either access to capital or access to credit, uh, or both. both. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if I wanted to continue, you know, with my uh, real estate investment endeavors, uh, I had a proven track record, uh, you know, tested a lot of these strategies on myself, um, I felt that it was time to bring in other partners so that I could continue doing what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, started off even something simple like a buy and hold property essentially um, could no longer I either didn't have capital or didn't have credit essentially uh, to to keep up. Actually more capital at that stage. Yeah. Um, I, I find that capital kind of works itself out over time. And, and I feel that it's more your access to credit that is more important. As long as you have access to credit, you will get capital over time. But eventually after a certain number of properties, depending on what strategy you undertake, uh, eventually even you know that pairs down over time as well, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of diminishing returns. Um, so that kind of got me to, into larger deals where you know the financial institutions are no, no longer looking at myself or even my JV partners, but more on the actual buildings themselves. Um, in the multifamily space, for example, right, different type of commercial financing rules there. Um, you know, banks are more focused on the performance of the assets significantly more than you know any collateral that you're providing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of got me to transition out of the smaller JV type of arrangements uh, into bigger uh, private syndicate private equity deals on both the development side and the multifamily side, both in Canada and in the U.S.
0: Okay, very cool. All right. So for folks who aren't familiar with what that means, can you give your definition of a syndication or a syndicated um, private, do you say syndicated private deal or syndicated development deal?
1: They're, well, they're all, they're all private syndicated private deals, Okay. Uh, depending on, but then you decide which strategy you want to undertake. Do you want to invest or participate in a development deal or a multifamily deal? Actually, I mean, the whole, world of opportunities kind of opens up to you with the syndication model. So a syndication model basically is, you know, you have a group of investors that collectively put their funds together in order to purchase um, a larger asset that mm-hmm. you individually may or may not be able to purchase yourself, or it's a way for you. And even if you can purchase that asset yourself, it enables you to purchase, to diversify your portfolio, Uh, spread amongst several uh, different uh, uh, deals and strategies as opposed to basically just dealing with one specific property, right? So we're talking about assets that are about, you know, 15 to $50 million, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes even larger than that. Um, Typically, they're available to accredited investors um, on, on the passive side, the limited partnership side. Typically, Mm. the the way that these things work is you typically create one of two structures, uh, either a GPLP structure um, or a fund structure. And that comes with its own pros and cons, each one of those structures. There's other structures you can undertake. I mean, the whole world is open to you, but it really depends on how many. If you have a lot of investors, those typically are the ones that kind of bode well.
0: Yeah. Um, So how did you get started in this whole space because it's it's a big jump going from onesie twosie JV partners on a single family home to starting to syndicate these much larger type properties. So what what's been your learning curve there, Felix? How did that progression happen?
1: Well I mean, you know, I started investing as in single family homes, then I basically started expanding into these duplexes, triplexes. Uh, so to me it's just a natural progression. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an investor, um, but ultimately, you know, if you want to achieve economies of scale and truly you know, maintain of like, you want to maintain like a passive investment, those really bode well, because now there's enough economies of scale for you to hire professional property management, project management. Uh, so as long as you build those teams in place, you can truly make this quite passive, uh, especially on the limited partnership side and even on the general partner side, as long as you have a great team in place, uh, the amount of time that's really required of you is, is not really a heck of a lot. So it's, yeah. it's basically bodes well to most people's you know desire to invest in real estate. Most of them don't want to des- invest in real estate just for the sake of investing in real estate. It's, it's the why, right? And the why typically is time freedom, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, or financial freedom, right? So this, mm. this bodes really well for individuals to, uh, looking to generate great returns, possibly great cash flow as well. Um, while giving you that time freedom that uh, that most people desire,
0: so maybe maybe walk us through an example of a deal that you've done in Canada, a syndicated type deal that you've done in Canada. Big broad strokes, if if you don't mind sharing, like where was the property? How many units? Give or take, how much? What was the purchase price? How much capital did you have to raise? How many? How many? How did you structure it? How many partners? That that kind of stuff. If you ha- if you happen to remember that, it's a lot of sure. details. On-
1: So it doesn't matter whether it's in Canada or the U.S. Now, in Canada, I haven't raised funds in Canada. I'm participating on several development deals, multi-phase subdivisions all across southern Ontario. And uh, I'm also a partner, actually, in that situation, it's a JV partner in a 94-unit building in Kingston, Ontario. Um, But pretty much invested in thousands of development uh, units, you know, uh, on the limited partnership side on the active uh, actively managed side um, more I'm, I'm more focused on the u s market right now
0: okay well then let's let's talk about the u s because that's that's something a lot of people are interested in Canadians are looking south of the border see a lot more opportunity a lot better prices a lot better you know cash flow et cetera et cetera so um, yeah maybe walk us through an example of, of something you've done or you're working on right
1: now sure um, I'll give you our recent example uh, we closed on a 90- 90 122-unit all townhouse complex mm-hmm. um, in Decatur, Georgia, which is in the greater Atlanta area of Georgia. Um, we that asset we purchased for 18.2 million dollars. The raise was around 8.2 million dollars, so that's what we needed to raise from investors mm-hmm. for both the down payment, the capex, capital expenditure budget, contingency funding, all that good jazz. Um, we decided to raise funds um, both in the U S and Canada. So we actually have co-general partners in both U S and Canada. Um, Basically in order to raise those funds came down to leveraging off of our networks of Mm -hmm. of other investors and other players uh, in the marketplace. It really comes down to people's, you know, short-term objectives, long-term goals. Right. So, so Felix
0: um, from a practical standpoint, your co-GPs in this project. So maybe give us an idea of who the other team members are, how many of you are there, kind of what, who does what, who's responsible for what in this
1: situation. For sure. So uh, initially when you're looking at these deals, some of us actually source uh, the opportunities. Um, Others, you know, set up the A-level teams in place in order to execute on our business plans. Um, and collectively, you know, on a month, on a weekly, and I'm talking from the standpoint of as a a co-general partner. Initially, in order to close on the property, you're looking at financing, you're looking at doing your due diligence, you know, so we've kind of divided and conquered from that perspective. Yeah,
0: so Um, how many people are there all together in the co-GP team? So
1: this uh, specific opportunity, I believe there's about eight. However, there's a main general partner that's local and Mm -hmm. they have been uh, executing on these types of strategies. Uh, for well over 12 years. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about uh, dealing with individual individuals such as that is we can forego a lot of the challenges that new entrants into the marketplace have to deal with, building those relationships with the uh, real estate brokers, uh, building those relationships. Yeah, they're, they're with the local boots
0: on the ground, kind of, Correct. they know the market, they know everybody there.
1: Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, and we can leverage off of their uh, A-level team of professionals as well, property yeah. managers, project managers and whatnot, right? So and the nice thing is, I mean, you know, they have boots on the ground. Worst case scenario, they can actually go out and see that property at any given point in time. So was, uh, was that the
0: person who found the deal? Is that the person that brought the deal to the no, table?
1: No. No. Okay, cool. This is actually the second opportunity we're dealing with uh, with this individual. And sometimes they invest their own funds in it. Uh, ge- as a general rule of thumb, uh, we actually eat our own lunch, <laughs> practice what we preach. So we actually participate on both ends. Mm-hmm. um you know we put our own money where our mouth is we invest in our, these projects uh, ourselves um so we participate as both general partners and limited partners on these type of opportunities um clearly builds a heck of a lot more trust with our investors if we're putting our own money where our mouth yeah, is you got
0: your own skin in the game so you got yeah. eight people on this team you got the main general partner that's the local guy yourself uh without we do not looking for names here but the the other team members kind of what do they bring to the table
1: Um, A lot of them have uh, expertise in dealing with in the multifamily space, either themselves or through other deals, Mm -hmm. uh, raising uh, capital, um, bringing in the expertise from an operational perspective, a financial perspective. Um, You know, we have an appraiser, for example, that works on one of the big five banks in Canada. Uh, So he's uh, he did a lot of the underwriting work. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us were basically uh, focused on raising funds <laughs> yeah. and you'd be very surprised at how small the, uh, the world is when it came, it comes down to raising funds. Uh, even if you're crossing the border, we, we were kind of bumping heads with people that each of us collectively kind of knew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, it, it, that I found that to be really fascinating. Um, uh, some of us were raising funds in the U S uh, you know, from their, uh, network, uh, others were uh, like myself were raising funds in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so just it, out of
0: curiosity, how does that work, big, broad strokes, logistically for a Canadian to invest their funds in in an American deal,
1: like in, for in sure. this kind of situation? So this this comes down to what structure you decide to undertake. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, uh, as I alluded to previously, you can do a GPLP structure typically. And typically mm-hmm. the, the asset is owned by an LLC, a limited um, LLC structure in the US. Um, And then the LLC in turn is owned by the GPLP. Now, the reason why you want to do this as a Canadian is because uh, CRA does not recognize the LLC structure. And as a result of that, you you would expose yourself to potentially double taxation. And we have a foreign tax credit available. We have a tax treaty in the US. So if you structure these deals properly end tax uh, effect is, the same as if these properties were located here in Canada.
0: Right. But you got to, sure. that's the big, that's the big key is you got to structure things properly. I've heard over and over again Canadians kind of screwing up because they go down, not these big type deals, but they go down to the States and they buy a property and they set it up in an LLC like they're told to in the States, because that's how Americans could do it. Because the IRS does recognize the flow through, you know, Correct. ability of an LLC, but Canada and all its wisdom. That doesn't exist for us so it, it we can't the CRA can't figure out how to
1: how to make that work Absolutely. yeah okay cool so you got the GPLP um so as part guess, of that maybe if I can elaborate yeah. a little bit more as part of that it's imperative to deal with the proper securities lawyers uh cross-border accountants cross-border lawyers to ensure that yeah. that's set up properly I cannot underscore this enough it's not something that I would recommend people doing on their own so no, you know.
0: and 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 I would imagine, Felix, that it, it's quite a significant expense to get all of that set up for a deal this size. I'm, I'm...
1: It, that's correct. However, that's also the reason why we're dealing with larger uh, properties yeah. and larger opportunities, where it's worth our while to to pay that level of for that level of expertise. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, like it, it, it wouldn't make any sense for, let's say, a single family home. You know, mm-hmm. you're paying like, through the roof. For something like that. So, but if you're dealing with a $20, $30 million property, sure. You know, it's, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's peanuts.
0: And it's a drop in the
1: bucket. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I'm still trying to get
0: my head around this. So your Canadian investors, are they investing just liquid cash? Are they able to put their RSPs into this kind of deal? How does, how does that work?
1: No, great question. Uh, this comes down to again the the structure you choose to undertake.
0: So the example um, that you're sharing with us right now.
1: So is... so the example that I'm sharing right uh, right now is a pure GPLP structure. Mm-hmm. The other more com- uh, a common one is a fund structure, a closed right. fund structure. Uh, t- to give uh, uh, your listeners a bit of like the lay of the land between the t- uh, the difference between the two, a fund st- uh, a GPLP structure, you're looking at a specific asset one specific property. A fund structure will have a basket, potentially a basket of these properties right. inside right. the fund structure. The positive, the pros with a GPLP structure is we tend to run these type of uh, strategies very lean. So you don't have like a bunch of overhead, uh, CEOs, CFOs, and then staff or anything like that. Uh, whereas with the fund structure, yeah, you need the fund administrator, you need all that overhead. And the negative part about the fund structure is your returns obviously take a hit as yeah. a result of that additional overhead? Whereas with the GPLP structure, you know, I'll, I'll give you I'll just for, for sake of argument uh, or clarity, uh, the, our recent deal, our expected internal rate of return was 16% internal rate of return. If we were to basically convert it into a fund structure, that return would get cut in half. Wow, right?
0: <laughs> that's a big well. That's a big hit, but I, I get it, right? Right.
1: Well, it, and the reason being is because when we raise funds, we already have a deal in play under the GPLP structure. With a fund structure, you're raising funds before you might have any any properties in place, but you, you still, still have to-,
0: to be paying out.
1: Correct. So yeah. there's reasons for that. So you're undertaking significantly higher risks. Mm-hmm. However, um, so yes, the profitability is better. Um, you also under the GPLP structure required to file U.S. tax returns. But as I mentioned before, we have a tax treaty with the U.S., so it's kind of a wash so people need to take into consideration the cost of filing a U.S. tax return. And of course, we have cross-border accountants here in Canada. So you can certainly do this in Canada. Uh, open up U.S. bank accounts in Canada as well, based mm-hmm. accounts as well. So all of that stuff you can do locally. Um, but with the, the fund structure, uh, the problem with the GPLP structure is typically you cannot raise funds using RSP and TFSA funds. Right. Whereas with a, with a, with a fund structure, you can if structured properly. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have your pros and cons, right? Maybe lower returns, but yes, I could possibly use my TFSA RSP funds under the fund structure. Or I can go with higher. Re- and by the way, you you may not even need to require to file a US tax return with a fund structure either. Mm-hmm. Right. So pick, pros pick your cons. poison. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But regardless, typically you would have to still, um, you know, if you were looking to passively invest in these deals as a limited partner, typically you'd want to make sure that you're an accredited investor, qualify as an accredited investor. Uh, we, as the general partners, we want to make sure that we're on the right side of the regulators, right? Um, very, very important the, <laughs> the penalties and fees uh, if you oh, don't okay. do things properly are obscene. Yeah. Um, and if for whatever reason people cannot get uh, involved as an accredited investor, then there's other ways for them to get involved and be part of these deals, but be act on the on the active side of the deal okay right? so so and, be
0: part of the the co be one of the co g p s basically is correct. what you're saying yeah correct. bring some value, bring money plus bring value to the table that way correct. you can yeah.
1: And and on top of that, I mean, if you're just cutting your teeth in it, it gives you a great, uh, uh, you know, opportunity to actually learn the ropes, cut your teeth yeah. in these type of deals, and have all these great mentors to kind of coach you along, right, yeah. and build these now, how build Well, these with, with
0: that in mind, how open are people to bringing on newbie co-GPs?
1: Um, it varies. I mean, honestly, all of us, as you're well aware... Mm -hmm. Uh, the critical success factor to making any of these deals happen is we need to raise sufficient funds. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest values that you could provide as a potential co-GP is become a capital raiser.
0: But that, if I understand correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, Felix, um, that cannot be your only role in the project. If I understand correctly.
1: It can be. So there's a distinguishment between uh, co-general partners and sponsors Sponsors can just raise funds and get compensated potentially, possibly. But don't
0: they have to be licensed or
1: something Not necessarily. Like that? Again, okay. as long as they basically follow the rules uh, with accredited investors and whatnot. Remember, they're raising funds with accredited investors. And of course, as sponsors, you know, near the tail end of that, we will get involved with their leads as well. Make sure to mm-hmm. answer any questions they may have. At the end of the day, we wanna make sure it's a win-win situation and it's the right opportunity for people, right? For some people right. it might not make sense. Uh, so we want to make sure that people fully understand, you know, what they're getting into, what their expectations are, um, and and go forward with that. So it's it's just a way to maybe get your foot in the door as a sponsor potentially, mm-hmm. and then you can work your way up to become a co-general partner. But yes, yeah, you know, it's imperative to stay on the right side of the regulators, uh, regardless. All right. So let let's talk
0: a little bit about that. Thank you very much for ex- explaining how you guys have done. I really appreciate that, and I think that's great value for for our listeners as well. Now, when it actually comes to the capital raising side of things, there were eight of you involved in this. You said everybody kind of pitched in to to help raise money for the deal. How do you, in that situation, you've got eight partners who are the management team, the co-GPs. I don't know about this situation, but life in general, there's usually one or two people really, working hard and a few that are doing a decent job and a few that are slackers. <laughs> it's like life outside of this perhaps. But how do you determine what percentage ownership, how do you divvy that up?
1: Well initially it's based is based on the number of funds you raise.
0: Well there you go. That's that's fair. So you don't if you don't raise any capital you get nothing. besides whatever you put in that you're a limited partner and you get very little extra there and, and the more you raise the bigger the piece of the pie
1: initially right i mean i mean yeah. you know there's other considerations obviously you want to have the expertise there so maybe the person raising the most funds may not be the most uh experienced from an operational perspective right so yeah
0: probably not yeah or, yes. or, yeah okay
1: and and, and it's just like any other jv opportunity right you you want to basically do your due diligence with the people you're getting in bed with right mm-hmm. um so for example
0: so- you're saying this the gentleman that you're working with in Georgia, your main GP, the guy with the boots on the ground. Maybe I misheard that, but it kind of sounds like maybe he's got a bigger piece of the pie because he's doing yes.
1: more or well, not necessarily doing more. He's actually pretty hands-off. Okay. But you know, after after we took possession of the property, he's relatively hands-off. But he had did provide uh, substantial at-risk capital. Remember, just like any other purchase that we make here. Um, you know, you make an offer on a on a property. You have to provide a deposit. If you fail to mm. close on that property, guess what? Your deposit disappears. So, mm. you know, and and you're dealing with an asset that's you know 18.2 million dollars. Yeah, the, the deposits
0: million. the the deposits significant. <laughs>
1: Correct. Right. So, well, what, obviously- what was the
0: deposit on that one? Just for.
1: Uh, it was, it was staggered, but it was about a million dollars. Yeah, I would think so. Okay. At risk capital. In fact, I remember, I mean, like if the deal doesn't close, our limited partners are not on the hook there. Right. right. So the nice thing about being limited partners is limited liability. They, there's, you know, their, their liabilities is limited to whatever investment they made and nothing more and nothing less. Right. Um, right. We've never had that happen before, but at least that's one of the securities. Right. Whereas the general partners are exposed to all types of liability. Right. Uh, and start right from the get-go that at-risk deposit. So we feel if we were to fail t- at closing that deal, um, you know somebody's going to be taking a major hit. Right. So our our main partner was more involved in the deal, uh, you know, as far as you know, getting the financing involved, dealing with multiple lenders that he's had relationships with, um, you know, and navigating that. After the closing, we. The other co-general partners came in, and in addition to raising funds, Um, and we're actually very active on the operational side of things. Got it. So it's a little bit like, front
0: end loaded for your your main guy there, and then now it's it's much less. Yes, but and he has to so guarantee but he, but he, the
1: mortgage too, right?
0: What's that? Somebody has somebody has to
1: guarantee the uh, personally guarantee. There you the go. So he, he
0: came up with the deposit, and he's the guy on on the mortgage. All right, that that's so significant. Yeah, so he's getting that, that deserves a bigger of the pie. That yeah. deserves a good <laughs> chunk of the pie, that's for sure. <laughs> right? Yeah, cool Felix. So, okay, so you've got the eight of you, you've got different percentages, give or take, in this particular deal, what percentage ownership of the asset does the general partner
1: group have versus your limited partners, your investors? Wow, that's a lot of questions. Um, so each one of these deals, and, the, and I cannot impress the it, it, this enough to your listeners, mm-hmm. um, it is imperative to do proper due diligence on a every single, on a project by project, uh, investment by investment basis, mm-hmm. because not all of these deals are created equal. Um, you know, We all have very different underwriting, um, deal underwriting, theses and the ways that we do things. Yep. Uh, we tend to take an overly conservative approach, mm-hmm. right? I've seen deals cross my desk that are overly liberal with, with, oh, you know, rental rates went up by 20% last year. Let's extrapolate for five years that they're gonna yeah. go up by 20%. That's just lunacy, right? Mm. Uh, or uh, cap rates are four and a half percent. Let's basically assume that by the time we exit, it's gonna be three and a half or 4%, right? We don't do any of that stuff. Uh, we actually take the, the, the total opposite approach. We actually, uh, in our deal underwriting, we actually increase cap rates on a yearly basis. Right. Um, the internal rate of return that we're, we're offering is also very conservative. And some of these deals may have a cash flow component, some of them may not. Ours does. We have a preferred 8% cumulative yield as part of that 16%. Although it's not going to be like a, a private mortgage, you're not going to get paid on a monthly, uh, monthly basis. Uh, they are quarterly distributions, but they could be up and down like a roller coaster. But because they are preferred, uh, they are owed to you from day one. And that 8% is payable to you before the general partners can participate in any of that. Um, more importantly, what is the split between the general partners and the limited partners? I've seen deals as low as you know 75% of the general partners, 25% to limited partners, that's just nuts. Uh, more common is 50-50, but be careful. Sometimes your general partners might not have zero uh, skin in the game.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: be weary about that if they, if they can't put their money where their mouth is. Ours is about 70 30 split. And yeah. our nearest competitor that is uh, operating out of uh, the West Coast, actually, where you're from, BC, uh, they're investing in the same areas. They offer a 65 35 split in favor mm-hmm. of the limited partners. We offer a 30 70. However, the difference between us and them is we actually offer cash flow, they don't. Right. So, right. And really, it comes down to building long term relationships with our investors to create those win win situations we're willing to give up some of the profits, some of the share of the, uh, uh, the piece of the pie that we own as general partners um, in exchange for building those long-term relationships. Right. So if well, we can I can mean, actually it's, it's got to
0: make sense for your investors or they're not going to do the deal. I mean, that's absolutely, that, that's the bottom line. Okay. Very cool. Felix, that's, that is great. Now, what, now that you've gotten into the syndication side of things and, and raising capital on a, bigger level, even though that's not all on your plate, like not everybody's looking at Felix to raise all the money for this, these kind of deals, but what, what have you learned besides the fact that it's a small world and you know, you're approaching people that your partners are approaching as well, but what have been some of your learnings from this whole process so far?
1: Well, for those that qualify with accredited investor status, there's a new world of opportunities that most people never even thought existed. Uh, And you can basically participate in those type of opportunities and diversify your asset base across geographies, uh, across countries. So so
0: are you finding that a lot of accredited investors might not realize that they are accredited investors and and have this opportunity? Is is that what I'm hearing? Okay. So your step number one is actually educating people that they might qualify for these kind of opportunities. So what... So, so what are you, what are you doing to find these accredited investors or sift, sort and filter through your connections
1: to figure out who might qualify and who doesn't? Um, you know, without getting into the specifics of basically, you know, how to, how to qualify for accreditation status, normally higher, higher um, earners, like uh, in the professions of like doctors, dentists, that sort of stuff, they, they have money to invest, Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily have the time to do so. So they are looking to generate a great return um, but they don't want to basically be active at all. They want to of be positive and that's right?
0: your perfect that's your perfect LP yeah, that's, that's who you're looking for. but don't or, you find that everybody's going after these guys isn't there a lot of competition for their attention and and trying to
1: well, the biggest competitor to us is actually the major uh, financial planning organizations. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah, right.
1: yeah. Uh, and, and and the problem is, if you're looking at financial planners, for example, very few of them ever uh, offer syndicated private equity deals to their investors. There's nothing in it for them. Exactly. The so why would? <laughs> Correct. And, and, and if you're looking for stability of returns uh, with a hard asset without having to depend on CEOs, CFOs, major corporations, you know, uh, all that good stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, day where are we operating? What field do we operate in? We operate in a field of offering a basic human need, right?
0: No, oh, I, I get it. You're preaching to the choir here, Felix, right. for sure. It's just, I'm I'm asking, how are you getting these accredited investors to pay attention to you? Uh, how are you getting them engaged? How are you getting them enrolled in these kind of deals? That's For
1: sure. Well, initially, I mean, I started off obviously with my own network of clients uh, that have grown with me uh, through, uh, you know, hands-on real estate investing strategies.
0: Yeah, so you got a pretty good guess of, if they would qualify or not, just based right. on your personal relationship. Got that's it. That's
1: right. And, yeah. you know, and and the great thing is, I mean, they've done really well, just as I have with, uh, mm-hmm. with real estate investing. Um, and then basically friends and family, you know, then you have, uh, you're looking at uh, maybe organizations such as you know, OMA, Ontario Medical Association, Dental Association, all that good stuff. Um, I'm not saying that that's exclusive. I mean, basically anybody who's high net worth, mm-hmm. because you can qualify based on income or net worth right, net Mm -hmm. net worth. Um, So if you have a million dollars in liquid assets, you would qualify as an accredited investor, not including real estate. If you have half a million dollars net worth, uh, including real estate, you would again qualify as an accredited investor. Or uh, if you have $200,000 individually or 300,000- In income. In income. Again, you would qualify as as an accredited investor. It's not for everyone, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Clearly, you know, not everyone would be able to qualify, but for those that do, um it's it's certainly a great uh way for them to diversify their portfolios get great returns um and most of the people are not even aware that these type of opportunities exist because their financial planners are not so, even- so are <laughs> you just
0: kind of reaching out to these people cold and starting the conversation or or how what have you found has worked well for you for bringing investors on board for these
1: deals all, all of the above really yeah you know uh, Usually have these conversations. You know, do I know? You know, reach out to my network, find out if they know somebody who would be interested in something like this, mm-hmm. or somebody who has expressed interest in real estate investing but doesn't want to really do it very actively, but is still looking to generate a great return. Um, at the end of the day, it's creating win-win scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I should be. I guess there's other ways to do it. I mean, you can do it online, but it's you know, the the hit rate with respect to people that you're going to be attracting, you know, it's it's more complex to discuss on an online basis. You just, you definitely need them to basically have a phone call with you so they can have the opportunity to ask you questions so you can convey that knowledge that they need in order to make an informed decision at the end right. of the day because it's not going to be for everyone, yeah. um, right? So what else do we do in order to basically access uh, investments? So do you guys...
0: Are are you consistently reaching out to people between deals or is this kind of like you got a deal on the go and it's hustle, 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 and then next deal comes along, hustle, hustle, hustle? Or do you have, are you like, have you created a database of investor prospects? Are you doing a drip campaign with marketing to them? All that kind of good stuff? Are you?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we do have that database. I mean, maybe if I can impress, you know, depending on how many deals you want to do in any given year. The reality is it is much tougher to find a new investor than to have an investor that has been ecstatic with the results that you've been providing well, them yeah. for them to reinvest with you as well. So um, based on some of the other organizations I deal with, and of course they have the same challenges as we do with respect to raising funds. Um, you know, as long as you have that database of you know, a couple of hundred investors, right? Um, you can make deals happen. Is there's going to be people that will only basically invest the bare bones minimum, but there's also going to be larger investors that are willing to put up million, two million dollars in any given. Uh, what is what is typically the bare bones minimum for these kind of deals? Varies, varies. I mean, I've, you know, the ones that I participated in, both as an active partner and, and a limited partner, anywhere as low as twenty five thousand dollars here in Canada, uh, to up to three hundred thousand dollars. It really depends. As a minimum. The the GP's yeah. basically decide the minimum threshold, but maybe if I can impress, you know, why that is, you know, we're not in the business to deal with thousands of investors. So we can't make that threshold five hundred dollars. Just the paperwork alone will cost oh, well, us well.
0: You 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 want to deal with accredited investors, so these people sure. theoretically should have some Capital right. available. right and, and
1: we want to make sure that we can you know answer everybody all the, our limited partners questions and be able to be available to them anytime they need to answer those questions. So if you, if you have thousands of people that you have to reply to, uh, it's you know it takes away from gig. our ability to execute our business plan because now yeah. we're it's a full-time job, right So um, there's a, that's why there's that threshold typically. Uh, normally, it's anywhere between 50 to hundred thousand as a minimum yeah. uh, both yeah. in Canada and the US. Uh, as, as, as an entry point. But as I mentioned, you know, most, most investors, most people who deal in this space, what I've found is there's going to be a couple of big whales that like to invest lots, yeah. way above the minimum. And then you'll have a sprinkling of, you know, 50,000, 75,000, hundred thousand, maybe a couple of hundred thousand, but the bigger guys are basically, uh, you know, uh, funding a good chunk of that deal. And one of the bigger guys is obviously us as general partners. We believe mm-hmm. in our deals. Uh, so we put our money where our mouth is. So I'd, I'd probably say 15 to 20% of all the funding came from oh, okay. us. Okay.
0: Well, that's good. Yeah. Right. Well, you definitely put your, put your money where your mouth is. Well, Felix, this is, this is great. Thank you very much for sharing your experience with this. I think it's going to be very, very helpful for a lot of our, our, Listeners, both in the U.S. and Canada, uh, because it applies both both ways, that's for sure. So if people
1: want to connect with you, what should they do? Um, they can connect with me either on Facebook, LinkedIn, or they can email me at uh, Felix, F-E-L-I-X, at cloud, C-L-O-U-D, the number nine, life.ca, Felix at cloud9life.ca.
0: I like that URL, cloud9life.ca. That's a good one, man. Good job. Felix, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show. Pleasure was mine, David. All right, everybody, take care. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. This episode is brought to you by MoneyPartnerFormula.com. Our Money Partner Formula service allows you to raise all the private capital you need to do all the deals you want while we handle the hard stuff. We offer reliable and affordable done-for-you marketing services that get you investor meetings booked without all the work. So go ahead and check out the website right now. And then feel free to schedule a call with me and let's take your portfolio to the next level. Again, that's moneypartnerformula.com. Watch investor meetings pop up in your calendar. We handle the rest.